Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for February 14th, 2010. And this is actually next week's study. I'm just going to continue from last week. From This will be part three of the, in the last part of the teaching we started on um, the cross and um, the cross of Christ, essentially, and what that means. So we're going to go ahead and just continue with more Bible verses at this point. And uh, the next verse we're going to look at is Colossians 3.1, which says, If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now here's another verse where we're talking about being you know, crucified with Christ, dead in Christ, you you know, these types of things. We've just given you a whole bunch of verses that verify that. And so, um, you know, the Bible talks about out of the mouth of two or three witnesses a thing is established, and and we can apply that wisdom also to the Bible verses themselves. We've got a lot of different witnesses in the Bible that are all confirming the same thing. They're just kind of saying it in a little bit different way, a little bit different take on things. Uh, so, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Then, uh, Colossians 3, 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye appear with him in glory. So, again, it's, it's talking about seeking the things which are above, setting your affections on things that are above and not on the earth. And I think, as you mature as a Christian, this will, it's kind of a natural byproduct of that. It should be at least. Now, if you become, uh, you're a Christian and all of a sudden you're focusing more and more as you think you're getting more mature in Christ, you're focusing more and more on material possessions and on houses and on cars and wanting these types of things. There's a serious problem because you shouldn't really have that inclination, particularly the longer you're saved. I don't think from a biblical standpoint. Now, I understand as a baby Christian, you could still have a lot of baggage that you're dealing with from the times past. But all I can say is, is um, I can speak for myself, I think you too, Nonetta, it's, I tell you, I, I just really, the, the longer I live as a Christian, the more simplistic. I'm just, Really, what I desire on this earth is just simplicity. And um, you look at Jesus Christ. He did not live a complicated life. Uh, the apostles, I mean, it was, it was very, it was uncomplicated. And the more stuff that you have, and the more material possessions you have, or the more things that you're into, really all that does is muddy the waters and complicate things. And it takes, um, it takes your attention and your emphasis and your focus. It, te- it will tend to take that off. Jesus Christ and your walk with him in these types of things. So it, a lot of times the devil will put those things in, in your way. But the more simplistic your life is, on the other hand, the more time you really can devote to things that um, are going to have an eternal lasting benefit. Uh, and these would be things like the rewards, like the Bible talks about at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, your works will be tried as either you know wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. And, and if you're setting your affections on things above and you're, you're truly not doing it like, let's say, a Catholic would to be work your way to heaven or to be seen of men. And I'm not saying all Catholics are, are motivated from that, but I think that by virtue of the religious system that they're in, this is what they're taught. They're taught that you, know, you have to do these seven sacraments and this is part of earning your way to heaven. That can't be your motivation because if that's your motivation, number one, I don't believe you're saved. And number two, all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Um, compared to God's righteousness, our best day is a filthy rag. Now, done through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit as a born-again Christian, that's a whole other deal. Those are rewards that actually, you know, um, that, that will not burn up at the judgment seat of Christ. So, just some things to think about there. Uh, this... Verse 3, 3, it says, For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Uh, there's a guy named Henry Groover, and um, a Christian named Henry Groover, and, and he goes all over the world and does uh, like prayer walking, prays over different places where there's, there's a, lot of, been a lot of previous demonic activity and stuff. And he's had, on several occasions, people, one time he had a knife 
real pointy knife put under his chin. The guy said he's going to cut his throat open. He's had a couple guns put to his head in real bad parts of town. And they'll say, you know, I don't know, whatever they end up saying, stop or, or I'm going to kill you because he might be witnessing to him or give me your money or I'm going to kill you. And the first, you know what the first thing out of his mouth is? I always thought this was great. He says, when, when they say to him, I'm going to kill you, and, he'll, and he'll, you know what he says back to him? He says, oh, you can't kill me. I'm already dead. Because <laughs> he's dead. And they're like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'm dead with my life hidden in Christ Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ. And they think he's nuts. They think he's crazy. And every single time that has, that has so freaked out the person trying to kill him that they ran off. The one time he said he was in London and it happened. And the guy ran off and, and he had the gun in his hand still. He's like, crazy man, crazy man. He was going before him. And, uh, uh, but Henry Groover, he has no fear of, he has no fear of, of, uh, of death, I, I believe. Uh, it, because he's really, truly has gotten to the point where he understands that we're dead in Christ and, and our life is hid with him. And um, he's crucified with Christ, and he's not even, you know, he well, he, uh, he he's not even uh, thinking about those types of things, and and he's very matter of fact about it. And you know, if you could be that matter of fact and that cool, calm, and collected in the face of of uh, death, I think it sends a, a definite signal to the person that's threatening you that there's something different about you <laughs> in a really big way. So I always thought that that was really, uh, you know, really a good, that would be a great response if somebody came up to you and said that. They had a gun in your head and, you know. Um, so anyway, just wanted to throw that in. Then Colossians 3, nine says, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So the new man is... is um, you know, you're a new creature in Christ. Behold, old things are passed away, all things are become new. That's the new man that we're in reference to here, okay? Um, and it's saying, lie not one to another. We're not supposed to go on lying to one another because we've put off the old man, the old carnal um, nature, which you're still going to battle the old carnal nature, okay, as we've talked about in, in the others. Uh, but we're, we're supposed to... Um, really seek to put on the new man. And, and it, again, this is through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside you, your reborn uh, spirit. Uh, we have to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ for this. We can't try to, you know, muster this up in and of ourselves. So let's go further. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. See, when you get saved, it's not because of your head and you make some worldly, earthly decision. Unless the Spirit draweth the man, the Holy Spirit draweth the man, you're not going to get saved. You have to get saved through the Holy Spirit. You have to receive the Word of God through through godly spiritual means. It's just not something that you you know you set you pray some little prayer and all of a sudden you're saved because you know you prayed some prayer. Um, it really has to be a supernatural thing, is what I guess I'm trying to convey. And when you get saved, it is a supernatural thing. I mean, it's the most the best, most supernatural thing that could possibly happen. You know, um, with my mom, and this is a week later after the last study I just did, but I talked with her this week, and, you know, she's still kind of in, you know, the declining phase, and, and I thank you for all those that have prayed for her, um, and uh, I think that she's going to be able to stay where she's at, which is pretty much where she needs to be at this point, because they were trying to put her back with me, and it would require 24-7 nursing, and it would require me bathing my mom and doing every single thing for her, looking on her naked body the whole nine yards. And, and I don't think from a biblical standpoint um, that's what I want to do. Uh, the Bible talks about in Leviticus, I believe, 18.6, where it talks about we're not to look upon nakedness of our next of kin or our mother, for she is our mother, and these types of things. So I, I really claim that verse during this whole thing. And, um, you know, she's... She's got a lot going on, end-stage cancer, stroke, 
Um, but when she had the stroke, the day she had the stroke, I had asked her on a couple occasions if she remembered anything from that day. And she had told me nothing. Well, that was the day I led her to the Lord. Now, the Lord remembers, but I wanted her to be able to remember. Well, and again, getting back to this whole supernatural thing, I was in there the other day, and we, we were by ourselves, and I said, Mom, I said, do you remember me praying with you the day you had? I said, do you remember anything about the day you had the stroke? And she's like, no. I said, you don't remember the ambulance ride? You don't remember having the stroke? You don't remember me trying to take you to the toilet? None, none of that. And she's like, no. I said, do you remember me praying with you? She's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I'm like, okay, so you don't remember anything about that day other than one thing, and that was with me praying with you. She's like, yeah. I said, do you remember what the decision that you made? And she's like, oh, yeah. I said that you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, and I went on, and, and she's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, thank God. And I'm like, I'm like, praise the Lord, because I kind of, I really wanted to hear confirmation of it as well, that she remembered. And she did, and of all the things that day that transpired, it was the only thing she remembered. And I believe, again, it was a it was a supernatural thing, and I think God gave that to her also to give her peace of mind, because if, if she ends up passing away, you know, she's going to remember that, and it would be not a good thing if she hadn't remembered it, because, you know, then it's like you're starting back from square one again. And right now, mentally speaking, um... Not to say you couldn't lead her to the Lord, but she's not all there, you know. She's not all there compared to the way she was the day she had the strokes. At that point, when I led her to the Lord, she was crystal clear mentally. Her mind actually started going two to three hours later. So, and it's never really been back since. So, for her to remember that is a really big thing. and Because she, she's had no short-term memory as of late. So anyway, it was just, that was another testimony about that. Um... Okay, let's go ahead and go to the next verse. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 and 3, 4 says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Now, this is not a pleasant verse for most people to hear because it says here that we shouldn't be moved when we're in afflictions, particularly if we're suffering for Christ. It's because it says, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Like the Bible says, you're appointed unto, uh, unto man, it is appointed unto man uh, once to die, and after this the judgment. Well, we're appointed a day of death. We're, if we're, um, there's other things I think we're appointed to, because God knows the beginning from the end. He knows that. So, we are um, actually appointed to afflictions regarding being a, now, some people are going to, suffer a lot more than others. And I'm sure there's been some people that haven't, you know, maybe they've they've suffered a little bit and then they've passed on or or maybe, you know, had things that they had to deal with in their lifetime. But that's not the same cookie cutter thing for everybody. I think for Christians living in the end times, this is going to be a whole lot of afflictions we're potentially appointed to. But again, you can't be dogmatic for every person and it doesn't matter because the Bible says I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So, you know, we no matter what, but you have to understand, the only way we can get through these afflictions is by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, and, and praying and fasting and these types of things, um, because we can't in and of ourselves do this. Next verse says, For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation." Even as it came to pass, ye, uh, ye know. So, it says that we're actually essentially appointed to suffer tribulation. Um, and I believe that, that one verse, that we may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. There's, a, there's an actual fellowship that you a bond, I believe, that you actually have with Jesus Christ when you truly suffer for him. And I really don't know, know that aspect I mean, yeah, I've suffered a little bit dealing with, with, but nothing compared to somebody living in China or Africa or a lot of these places where, I mean, literally they've been either martyred or family members have been martyred or they're in fear of their life every day. I, I, I'm, I, I don't even feel like I'm worthy to be in the same room as somebody like that. You know, but I can, I can at least look at it and identify and say that, you know, um, I, I can kind of comprehend it but I haven't been through it as of yet. Um, so, 
these are just things that are important to remember because a lot of people are going to say they're Christians and when it gets starts to get really, really bad here, potentially um, for a lot of people that it already is bad. I mean, like I said, I mentioned these, some of these other countries, but for people that haven't experienced it, it gets bad and they're like, oh, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. My preacher never told me any of this. Uh, no way, I'm not doing this. I, I'm, I'm okay, I'm out of here. And again, God is going to try us and if there's anything in this planet that's going to make you give up on God, God knows that, right? I mean, because he knows you. Well, that may be the very thing that ends up happening to you because he's going to prove us and he's going to try us. And, um, you know, again, this isn't fun stuff to talk about, but it's reality. And it was reality for, for like, the people that were in the Spanish Inquisition, the Catholics slaughtered. A, a lot of them were born-again Bible-believing Christians. And then um, then before and since then, all the, the martyrs and the people in, like, Fox's Book of Martyrs, you know, I mean, that's worst-case scenario, I admit. And it's not going to happen to every single person. The Bible says, pray that you be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon this earth and to stand before the Son of Man. So that's a prayer that you can pray. You can pray Psalm 64. Psalm 64 is a prayer of, of you're asking for protection. You're asking him to hide you from the secret counsel of the wicked and from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. But if you don't ever have a concept of the Bible verses that I just mentioned regarding asking for protection and prayer of your family and yourself, and you don't ever pray for things like that because you think it's going to be all, you know, uh, tulips and roses that we're going to be going into, well, chances are you're not going to be protected. You've never even asked for it. You know, Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. And if you wait until the very last possible second, there's a lower likelihood you're going to get your prayers answered. I'm not saying God couldn't answer them, but there's a, there's a lower likelihood if you've never even prayed or even give consideration to these things. Um, and not to say that that doesn't mean you're not going to suffer tribulation or persecution, even if you have prayed them. But that's why I did the teaching on Psalm 64. And again, if you go right now, you can access all my teachings, all my previous teachings. Um, and you go up to contendingfortruth.com. In the left-hand upper corner, there's a there's a tab called audio. And um, you click on that. I think it's audio, something like that. And then you're going to see in that, you're just going to see a few teachings. Because we have yet to get anything really archived up there properly. Because I don't have the time right now to even think about going up there and, and, and doing that. I just don't. And not only that, my computer's been down three times in the last uh, three weeks. In fact, as you're listening to this, I have no computer whatsoever. So I've got all this stuff going on with my mom. Um, I have no computer. Uh, I've had just one thing after another, after another, after another. It's just been unbelievable. But praise the Lord, you know, I'm still here and um, we've had a lot of victories at the same time. So, I don't have a computer, I can't even get this stuff up there right now, but there is a tab within that page that I just described to you that says, that it's a sentence and it says something about archives. Click on that archives and it will take you into every teaching I've ever done on one page, that's 380 or something up there. And there is all you're going to see is the title. So, there's, a, there's one title, I believe, about Psalm 64 or imprecatory prayers. If you want to know more about imprecatory prayers and this protection, uh, you you want to listen to that. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so the next verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless, under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's um, to be sanctified is to be made holy and set apart. So that's what that word sanctify actually means. Second Thessalonians 1.4 says, So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. It was just a foregone conclusion. Back then, early church, I mean, your life was at risk because this was considered this huge threat to the established uh, religious practices of the time. And um, they talk about patience and faith 
in all your persecutions and tribulations, which is one of the things that persecutions and tribulations, a byproduct of that, will actually bring about. Fruit of that um, can actually be patience and faith, unless you just turn your back and give up on God, which would be the opposite of that. Next verse says, so this, well, let me read this part. For your patience and your faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. So this talks about actually being accounted worthy of the kingdom of God, which we also suffer. So these are verses you don't hear a lot about. They're not popular verses. But it actually is talking here that patience and faith through persecutions and tribulations is a, is a manifest, meaning it's made manifest. It's, it's, it's coming to light. It's a manifest token or a manifest sign um, regarding being counted worthy of the kingdom of God. So again... Uh, this is something that, um, you know, is just a verse to ponder and to think about and to understand that, um, you know, we're no better than the martyrs that have went before us or the martyrs that are here on the planet now or the ones that have just died in other countries typically. Um, so, something to think about because I believe particularly in America, our day is coming and in other parts of the world, our day is coming. Unless God takes us out of here before that, um, our days. Is coming. So 2 Timothy 4 5 says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of, the, of an evangelist, make full proof of this of thy ministry. He's talking to Timothy. He's telling him to endure afflictions. Okay? Hebrews 4 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us, entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, I'm going to define this a little bit more. Let us therefore fear. We're supposed to fear God, remember? We're supposed to, that's who we fear. We fear God. Lest a promise. Now, it takes faith to believe a promise, right? I mean, if somebody promises you something, it does take faith for you to believe that promise. Either you believe it or you don't. Okay? So, lest a promise being left us entering into his rest, which would really be like going home to be with the Lord, any of you should seem to come short of it. Which, this kind of gets into the subject of overcoming. I've done a whole study on it, because I get a lot of questions. People asking about once saved, always saved. Now, listen, there's undeniable verses in the Bible that would point to the people that, that well, talk about once saved, always saved. Undeniable. There's also undeniable verses where you could look at um, some of the tenets of Calvinism. Undeniable. But, Remember, we have to look at the Bible in light of all the other verses. We can't just isolate scriptures to the exclusion of others. We have to be able to reconcile the Bible verses together. What I generally tell somebody is if they ask about this question, okay, is I say, listen, if you're unsure about your salvation, listen to my teaching on salvation. Then listen to the teaching on baptism. Now remember, they're all on that archives page. Or you could go up to YouTube and do a keyword search for Scott Johnson and then like the word overcoming or the word salvation or the word baptism. And you'll find them up on YouTube as well. There's several people that have put up my teachings up there. So there's a couple different ways you can find my old teachings now just about just as conveniently as sermon audio. So that is one really awesome thing. Um... It's just that I don't have that really centralized way of pointing somebody there anymore. But they're there. So anyway, I tell them to do that. And then I tell them to listen to the teaching that I did on overcoming. Because that's something that's not very much talked about. And we need to look at the, the whole subject of eternal security in light of the teaching that I did on overcoming. Which talks about... You know, the Bible talks about he that overcometh the same uh, that uh, overcometh unto the end the same shall be saved, or he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved. And these types of verses that would seem to say, oh, well, then it's about works. It's not, but this isn't an easy subject to just comprehend. You just can't do a Bible teaching and go over five verses and say, oh, well, well okay, that settles it. It's something that you really need to study in depth. The reason I did the verse that was part of the reason I did the teaching on overcoming. Is because it really needs to be looked at in light of the subject of, you know, if somebody has a question about once saved, always saved, that type of thing. 
Okay. Now, God knows the beginning from the end, right? He knows who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. He knows that. So, in some in some respects, you could you could look at that and say, well, yeah, once saved, always saved. God knows who's going to get saved and who's going to end up going to heaven. God knows the beginning from the end. Well, then that, then that's into like predestination and Calvinism and this types of things. Now, there's undeniable tenets, but there's also some a lot of other verses that would seem to almost not contradict, but unless looked at in light of the whole Bible, you really need to look at the whole subject in totality to understand. See, the Holy Spirit lives inside you, and you're truly a born-again Bible-believing Christian. I believe you're equipped to do whatever it takes to overcome unto the end. And this whole testing and trial of our faith and, and patience and tribulations and persecutions is part of that test. Okay, but God knows as a born again Bible believing Christian that you're perfectly capable of succeeding in that quest. Okay, again, you you don't want to rely in and of yourself, in and of your own flesh. Again, I don't want to say much more about it because it's it's somewhat of a deep, deep, meaty subject. You really listen to, need to listen to the teaching on overcoming. You need to. I really believe this teaching that I'm doing on the cross of Christ. Also, is another teaching I'm going to say you would want to listen to in light of that. Because it's a very confusing subject. I get questions all the time where people say, well, what about once saved, always saved? What about lordship salvation? What about Calvinism? What about, the, what about one, you know, and it's so, it's impossible for me to give a two-sentence answer to that. So it's too, way, way, way too um, deep. To get, and so I w- I'm going to basically just put all those together and say, you need to listen to these if, you, if you're unsure of your salvation. Listen to them in this order. The salvation teaching, the baptism teaching, the teaching on overcoming, and then this teaching I'm doing now on the cross. Um, because it's it's just it's something that you really need to um, search the scriptures to see if these things be so. Don't take my word for it. You know, but see, I, I think when we we finally can reconcile all these scriptures that get into these subjects, we, there's there's a perfect way to make sense of all this and into uh, and to reconcile them. It's part of the reason I'm doing this study as well. So uh, let's go further. Hebrews nine sixteen, for where a testament is now, th- in this case, it is literally the New Testament. For where a testament is, there also there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. In this case, that was Jesus Christ. For a testament is a force after men are dead. A testament. You know, I, I said a testament to somebody. Literally, the New Testament is literally, um, that is regarding Jesus Christ. Okay? And it was, but they're saying where a testament is, when it actually comes into force, or whether whether it, when it comes into its activation, its being, that takes place after the death of the testator. In this case, when Jesus Christ died, um, obviously he rose again from the dead, and and um, but that's what they're in reference to here. So then it goes on to say, for a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no, of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So, Jesus Christ's death was necessary so that the, the strength of the New Testament actually was activated. Um, also, obviously, Jesus talked about it's expedient that I go, for when I go, I'll send the comforter will you know teach you and bring all things in remembrance and this is and the comforter being the holy spirit this is how we get saved okay and, and, and unless he died and shed his precious blood and um his death on the cross his finished work on the cross to pay our our sin debt to save our souls that had to happen in order for us to be saved so there's a lot of different reasons you could look at that jesus needed to um what happened on the cross had to happen so anyway, that it's kind of a again. These are really deep um, uh, verses here. Okay, and I had written a note to myself here. 
regarding this verse, where we, we, we go and we look at 1 Corinthians 11.23, where it says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, After the same manner, also he took the cup, which he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So here we're actually referenced to this New Testament that we had just talked about. Um, and then it says in verse 26, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye, sh- ye do show the Lord's death till he come. It's a symbolic thing. It's something that we should be doing, though, on a frequent uh, basis when we do come together. And, and we do it, and these are the actual verses that I read when we... Uh, Partake the Lord's Supper. So anyway, that's just something to kind of think about there. First Peter three eighteen, that one says, "For Christ also has suffered once, has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Quickened means to be made alive." Okay, so he just suffered for sins once. He said, it is finished. The Catholics, they have to keep re-crucifying him every week. That's why he's still literally a type, or the sculpture of him is literally still up on the cross. Even the things they wear around their necks, those crucifixes. I mean, that's unbiblical. Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. He's not some pitiful looking man on a cross that that continually has to be re-crucified. Why do they want to do that? Because they believe that they're earning their way to heaven and they have to keep continually re-crucifying him. And they believe that through the process of transubstantiation that the Catholic priest can literally, literally call down Jesus Christ, put him into the Catholic communion host, change the bread and the wine into the literal blood and body of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's not something that they're saying is symbolic. It's not something they just do in remembrance of him. It's literally they believe that the Catholic priests acting as little gods on this planet have that power to call Jesus Christ down. And when you consume the Catholic communion host or if, if you were to partake of the wine, that it's liter- the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And they have to keep re-crucifying him to continually keep repaying their sin, uh, keep having their sin down. But that's only one of the things they have to do to keep their sins paid and covered and you know you've got all this stuff rigmarole the seven sacraments and everything else that they do so anyway that um let's go further here uh first peter 4 1 for as much then as christ hath suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves likewise with the same mind for he that has suffered in the flesh hath also ceased from sin now i've suffered a couple times from just God's chastisement. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. And some of the times, the persecutions or the afflictions you endure may just come from chastisement, too, as well. And um, I'm telling you right now, if you're under God's chastisement, you're well aware that you do not want to be sinning. Because you don't want that chastisement to get any worse than it already is. <laughs> so, pain is a tremendous motivator, um, I've found. Uh, God knows how to really put you through it, If, if particularly, now I'm not, a lot of people that suffer, it's not even for their own, they may not be under God's chastisement at all, it just may be suffering for the glory of God, and, and for the, you know, I think there's different ways you could suffer. But, where it says, for he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. It doesn't mean you ever walk around in ever sinless perfection, never sinning. But, if you think about it, suffering is pain. At some level or another. Whether it be physical, emotional, mental, pain can come in many forms. And um, when you're in pain, pain's a tremendous motivator. Usually not to sin. I can just say that from experience. So, and then let's go further. For 
that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. So again, these are things that in times past, um, just, you know, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, like parties, banquetings. You know, this would imply probably uh, just gluttony, gluttony of the flesh doesn't even necessarily have to be gluttony of food, but gluttony, you could be a glutton in a lot of areas. You just can't get enough of, of this or that or just feeding the carnal you know, mind. The, the, the Bible talks about in uh, Romans verse 16, 17, and 18, it talks about um, you know, whose God is their belly and, and who actually, um, that's another verse where they talk about whose God is their belly and do mind earthly Things when they talk about whose God is their belly, it means basically their carnal desires really are their gods. That's what they're there. They're there to please the flesh, and um, it's just one of the things that we don't want to be doing as Christians. And then the last verse, First Peter four four, wherein ye think it is strange that they run not with them, that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot. Speaking evil of you. So don't expect if, you know, you have people that, let's say in times past, and let's say you used to be a certain way where you were, like myself, kind of a party animal. And uh, I'm not proud of it. I'm just saying I was pretty bad in, in regard to that. When I was saved, I mean, I have friends of mine now that are, I think are literally terrified of me because they don't want to be in the same county as me. They don't want to be on the phone with me. Uh, a lot of them, I wasn't able to even talk to them personally, but a lot of them I actually sent them. You know, I'd send them a track, tell them what happened to me. And, uh, man, they avoid me like the plague. Now, some would say, oh, well, then you're suffering for Christ. I don't really call that suffering for Christ. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've lost a ton of friends. They were carnal friends. I don't want to see them go to hell. Um... And I pray that they don't go to hell. And I have prayed that. But I probably don't want to be around as, them as much as they don't want to be around me. I don't want to be around that stuff. I am so uncomfortable. I don't even, I mean, uh, our family gatherings and stuff, man, I, I just, I've got to, they know where I stand. And I just really have no desire. It doesn't mean I don't love my family. I just don't really want to be around them for carnal events. Let's get together for the Super Bowl, or let's get together for Xmas, or whatever holiday. Ishtar. Oh, and today is Valentine's Day. Another one of the most, you know, debauched pagan holidays ever conceived. Abomination. And all, you know, all over. Every, oh, you got it, you know. And it's all these commercials, and, you know, uh, he went to Jared, and and every kiss begins with K, and all this other garbage, and and the and the roses, and the and the and the chocolates, and the oh, if you really love your sweetheart, you'll go the distance. You're celebrating a pagan holiday. Yes, I need to do a teaching on Valentine's Day, but and I really was kind of the back of my mind planning on doing this before Valentine's Day got here this year, but I got derailed by all the stuff that happened with my mom. But it is it is as wicked of a holiday as you could imagine. Um, when we get into the history of Valentine's Day, it will turn your stomach. I don't even want to get into it. But um, these people, when after you get saved, and you want to mind the things of God and not the things of man, they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, as the Bible talks about here. And then, what's the next thing that happens? They speak evil of you. So they speak evil of you, um, because you're not uh, wanting to lay down in the same hog trough they're in. And sometimes it's not even that, you know. It's just that I, I don't have a whole lot. I can't relate to my family because they're not born-again Christians. There's not a whole lot I have to discuss with them. I mean, you know, it would be one thing to witness to them. But for the most part, they don't want to hear any of that. And, you know, sure, there's small talk about the family and this type of stuff. But I really think as a born-again Christian... 
there's like a repulsion factor with the Holy Spirit living inside you and their unsaved spirits. There's a there should be something in you, I think, that says, yeah, I just you know, I want to kind of keep them at arm's length. I don't really want. I mean, if you have no problem being around unsaved people and being with them, fellowshipping with them, you have no conviction about them being unsaved, them being ungodly, maybe they're cussing, maybe they're using inappropriate language, maybe they're they're talking about things. If there's no conviction on your part, you, you need to really evaluate whether you got saved because if the Holy Spirit really lives inside you, He's going to chasten you most likely anyway if you're, if you're doing that and you're going to understand about this whole pain and suffering thing from a chastisement standpoint. But... And I'm not saying as a baby Christian, you 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 couldn't um, you still wouldn't have a lot of things like that going on, okay? Because it is a progression, and it, and there is um, you just don't get to be Mister Super Christian overnight, and you know after you get saved, um, it takes time. I really believe it takes with different people. It takes different God takes different routes to get you where He wants to get you, and it's literally a lifetime process anyway, regardless of where you were at, and. Um, but there should be some desire to not be around all that kernel stuff. I mean, man, I, if I could just, I can't even stand being in the city. I've, I've gotten to the point where I just want to be out in the country and, and, and live a simple life. And I don't want to be around unsaved people. And not to say I don't want to see them saved. Not to say I don't want to see God put unsaved people in my life where I could potentially lead them to the Lord. But you have to understand, in today's day and age, particularly in America, that's not the norm. Um, people wanting to hear the truth is not the norm. Particularly about Jesus Christ. And again, everybody has different callings. So some people are really called to one area where they really are interacting on an everyday basis with unsaved people, primarily to be a witness, whether it's a witness where they're literally leading them to the Lord or whether people are observing their lifestyle. Um the way they act and these types of things, which can actually and usually is a greater witness than what comes out of your mouth. Because a person wants to see how you really are truly inside and how you act before they'll ever believe anything that you're going to say. There's that expression that I had heard in times past where it says, you know, witness boldly every day, if necessary, use words. So in other words, somebody can look at your life and really, particularly if, if you've, if you've um, been at it, year after year after year. And it's not like you're a flash in the pan. Where And again, this happens to a lot of people that say they were saved. Well, the Bible talks about there's four types of ground that the seed falls on. you know, And there's only one that's a good ground. And then you talk about the stony ground and the thorny and, and they get the cares of this world. It chokes away and, and they, they fall away. They get offended or they fall away. And again, that's God's, I believe, way of proving who really is a born-again Christian and who's not. He's he's trying that person. Um, he's proving them. He may be chastised, these types of things, to kind of show you. Um, if somebody's seen you year after year after year and respected you, and you've been the real, let's say, the real deal, I'm not talking about living in sinless perfection, but that's quite a witness. And when things get really, really bad and things get really, really nasty in the near future, most likely... Um, a born-again Christian that has, like the Bible talks about, built their their house on the solid rock of Christ Jesus, when the winds come and the rains come and all the things happen, they're not going to be moved because they built on a solid rock. The rest of the world has staked their lives and built on nothing but sand. And that's including Mr. Pseudo-Christian that's going to fall away when things get start going bad. You're going to see the mass exodus really away, I believe, from the Christian religion in these mega super churches because it's really going to, it's going to, I believe when things get bad in the near future, um, it's really going to prove who is the real deal and who's not. I also think there's going to be a lot of people that really do get saved during that time. Um, They're going to have their eyes opened. And um, usually when God's judgment comes, People will, I mean, it's a byproduct. Some people are going to get saved from that. So anyway, uh, let's see here. 1 Peter 5, 1. 
uh, this is a continuation of the last verses, I believe. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who I am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. So he was not only a witness to the sufferings of Christ, Peter, but he was also a, also a partaker, and I believe he was literally a partaker of the sufferings um, of Christ. Christ's sufferings, which is like, you know, when, you, when you're doing that, it's the fellowship of his sufferings. It, it, it really is, I really believe that the apostles and the, and the martyrs and these people viewed it at the, as the highest honor to suffer for Christ, even to the point of martyrdom. I mean, let's face it, if you're up in heaven and you died for Jesus Christ, you were martyred. I mean, you laid it on the line, you showed that you weren't Playing church, you gave it all. I mean, including your own life. I mean, I think, you know, if God's looking at that situation, that's somebody that is the real deal. So, um, going further, 2 Peter 1 4, whereby are given unto us an exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption, that is in the world through lust. So again, you want to try to escape the corruption that's in the world. The lusts of the world. Um, but he's given us exceeding great and precious promises. Now remember, it takes faith to believe promises. What does everything hinge upon that I've ever talked about in these teachings that I mentioned? Whether it be overcoming, whether it be salvation, whether it be bearing the cross of Christ that we're talking about today... What is really the basis of all that? The Really the basis, it always boils back to faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, in order to believe these great and exceeding precious promises, you have to have faith. And that's what everything hinges upon. Our salvation hinges upon faith, if you think about it. You know... For you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. See, even the faith isn't of you. It's of the Holy Spirit, I believe. The Holy Spirit imparts that faith. The Bible talks about, and we talked about this last week, where it says that to each man he has uh, given a measure of faith. See, God just doesn't give the same amount of faith to everybody. Some people say, well, my faith's not as great as yours. Well, maybe you, you haven't been given the same measure as that certain person. And also, maybe... You're not a place in your Christian walk where your faith has been built up yet. When you go through trials and adversity, like when I went through that thing with that voodoo witch doctor guy that tried to kill me, or when all these experiences I've had with high-level witchcraft, every single time what it does is it increases my faith. But you have to have the faith to believe Jesus Christ truly can protect you. And once you get to the other side of that battle, your faith increases. Well, if your faith increases, your shield increases. What do you mean shield? Well, the Bible talks about the full armor of God, breastplate of righteousness, loins girded with truth, feet shod with the preparation of gospel of peace, helmet of salvation, above all, taking up the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When Jesus comes back on that white horse, praise the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, man, that gets me fired up even thinking about that. When he comes back, what comes out of his mouth? A sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, literally. What does that do? It devours his enemies. That's what's going to devour his enemies. How did Jesus Christ deal with his greatest enemy? Satan. Quoted scripture. What is scripture? The sword of the Spirit. The Bible says, It's not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Man, I don't get you fired up talking about that stuff now. See, now I'd rather to be... I. I think it's important we go over these verses. But I also think it's important you don't get all depressed about them. About, oh, I can't do it. It's not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit living in you. That's how you overcome. That's how you bear the cross of Christ. I mean, Grant, it's not that we don't have any responsibility in the matter. But we do it through the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. We quote scripture, but think about it. If your faith is built from going through battles and battles, okay, because I really believe that's what happens. 
Well, if your faith has increased, faith comes by hearing here by the Word of God. Okay, read the Word of God, memorize it, quote it. That's another way to build your faith. Well, the bigger your shield gets, the Bible says, above all, taking up the shield of faith, Ephesians 6, whereby you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It says you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, which is a spiritual unseen battle. They're firing at you. And you can quench them all with the shield of faith. But you, but the bigger your shield gets, the more you're going to be able to be protected, if you think about it. I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. But it's kind of common sense if you, from a biblical standpoint, it's kind of, you just, when you start looking at verses, it becomes common sense, I guess. When you start combining verses and say, well that verse says this, and that verse says this, therefore, you know, we can draw this conclusion. And I think you can biblically easily draw that conclusion. So anyway, it's, it's kind of a, a neat way of looking at things. First um, John 1, 1 says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. Okay, so the word of life meaning the word of God. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, meaning this was Jesus Christ, who we, how we obtain eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was manifested to us. This is John writing. Uh, he was man, I mean, Jesus Christ came down and dwelt human flesh, uh, was fully God and fully man at the same time and, and dwelt on this earth for 33 and a half years. And they actually witnessed this. Okay, the apostles did. Okay, so then further it says, uh, verse 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so again, just kind of affirming verses to what we've been talking about. And then verse 6, 1 John 1, 6, If we say we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie, and do not the truth. So a lot of people can say, well, I have fellowship with God, I'm a Christian, or whatever. Um, they, the, the, there's a Bible verse that talks about, where it says they say they know him, but in works they deny him. Okay, And so, if you walk in darkness... You know, if you live in darkness and you have no problem being in darkness and you have no conviction that walking in darkness, that you're even walking in darkness. You may think that you're you're better than everyone. You may think that you have it all figured out and everyone else is wrong. Be real careful if you're ever in that mode. Because what you're basically saying a lot of times, and this is how cults get started, and there's a lot of people like this, very, very self-righteous people that say that they're Christians, but they're the only ones that know the true path. They're the only ones that have it all figured out. And everybody else is apostate except them and their little, quote, cult following. Be real careful because what you're basically doing is saying the rest of the world's going to hell. And you're not because you're special and God showed it to you. And I don't believe the Lord Jesus Christ is that way. I believe there's different... Um, grades, obviously, of people, of Christians at different walks, and there's some that that um, are babies, and there's some that are more mature, and there's some that are battling sin issues, and they're under chastisement, and there's th- there's some that, like the Bible talks about, if you partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily, many have fallen asleep. There's some that are going to have receive w- rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, and there's some that are going to have all their works burned up, and they're going to be saved, yet so as by fire. So, granted, if somebody is walking around in abject, total sin, and living like the devil, and there's no fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance, you see no chastisement in their life, and there's no conviction of sin, as though their conscience has been seared with a hot iron, which would kind of line up with 1 Timothy 4.1, in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, what faith? Christianity true Christianity, true Bible-believing New Testament Christianity. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, 
and having their conscience seared with a hot iron? Man, you see somebody like that, and there's no conviction of sin, and they just lie. And we're talking hypocritical. They're, they're, what does that mean? What does hypocrisy mean? It means that what they're talking about, they're guilty of the very thing they're accusing you of. They're hypocrites. I'm, I'm, you're this and you're that, and you, then you start hearing all these accusations. That accusing spirit, like the accuser of the brethren. I'm telling you, I just went through this with Ed Watson. I've never seen anybody walk in a bigger accusing spirit than that man, ever. And I've got a ton of other people to verify this. A laundry list. Listen, we're supposed to mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which, which ye have learned. Those types of people are so dangerous because they're so dogmatic. And, they're, and these accusing spirits that emanate and operate through these individuals, whether it's a minister, whether it's an unsaved person, it doesn't matter. They are some of the most dangerous because they can really get you to doubt yourself and, and even sometimes your salvation. They're very, very, very adept at doing that. And particularly for baby Christians that aren't prepared to deal with somebody like that, um, it can literally be deadly to them, to their spiritual walk. Um, that's why I say don't follow any man. I'd say don't follow me. Check, check the Bible out. See if what I'm talking about is true or not. Now, I, I know we get into a lot of current events and you can't necessarily go to the Bible and, and, and say, well, here, here's Lord Betraya. Or here's the UFO thing or whatever. But we can look at the Bible and see that in the end times we know we're going to be under the strongest delusion and God is going to send the strong delusion according to 1 Thessalonians um, and or 2 Thessalonians 2. We know we're going to be under the strong delusion. So we need to be on our guard more than ever for wolves in sheep's clothing that appear, they're, they're ministers of Satan, but they appear as ministers of light. But you have to look. Is, is the person that you're following, do they have an accusatory tongue? Are they always out accusing others? Do, do, is it When they get the spotlight on them, do you see them turn like a rabid dog on who's ever putting the spotlight on them? Is there brotherly love in that? Is there, um, isn't that pure contention? Do you see these types of people in a hypocritical nature always turn around and making you be the bad guy? That's the mark of an accuser. That's the mark of a hypocrite. They will never admit they're doing anything wrong. They will not take responsibility for anything. Why? Because they're full of pride. And the pride has blinded them. It seared their conscience like a hot iron. They won't admit they're wrong about nothing. They've got it all figured out. You're the one to blame. And they will make up lies about you and, be, and accuse you of the very things they're guilty of. Classic. I mean, just classic. I have dealt with so many people like that. But a lot of times baby Christians aren't used to that. And if they get with the wrong person, the wrong minister, particularly as a baby Christian, man, I tell you... That is one of the worst things that could ever happen to anybody. Because most likely, that baby Christian is just going to fall away. Uh, they're going to just shipwreck their faith, as the Bible talks about. And that is exactly the plan that Satan has for these ministers of Satan, for these ministers of unrighteousness, for these wolves in sheep's clothing. That is the exact plan he wants to implement through them. To destroy you, to destroy your faith, to shipwreck your faith, so that you cannot be used for the Lord Jesus Christ. You're worthless. You're worthless. That's what he wants to do. So I'm I'm warning you that if you get saved, be very careful what church you go to, um, who you set yourself under. Get into the word right away. Because you cannot rely on men, uh, any man just to steer you in the right direction. You can't go to Smiley Joe, Joel Osteen's church, or 
Benny Hinn or Creflo Give Me a Dollar or TD Fakes. Oh, sorry. Anyway, you can't go to any of those guys. You cannot rely on these men. Men will fail you. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and that maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5 Cursed be the man. Well, I trust in him. You better trust in the word of God. You don't want to trust in no man. I mean, and again, not to say that all men are wicked. I'm just saying be very, very, very careful who you set yourself under or if you get yoked up into a particular denomination and there's heresy within that denomination. Most of the time it's the heresy you're going to typically deal with in pseudo-Christian denominations is salvation by works. That's one of the main ones you're going to typically deal with. And there's so much leaven that is permeated into these 501c3 corporate church denominations that you have to just be so careful. And I hate to say that to you because if somebody's a, a baby Christian, they're just listening to this for the first time. They're thinking, oh my word, what do I do? Just get in the word of God. And if you, if you do listen to me, check out to see what I'm saying. Um, you, you know, if it's true or not. Lord knows I don't want to steer anybody astray or cause anybody to falter or, or shipwreck the, fa- the faith of, of anyone. That's not my goal. I'm here to warn you and to try to steer you in the right direction. I'm, you know, the Bible talks about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling and, and I'm, and to whom much is given, much is required. The more you're given from the Lord, the more you're required and the greater the responsibility and the greater the penalty will be if you mess it up. So I'm, you know, I really am concerned that that my listeners get on the right track and not get off the right track. And I don't ever want to be responsible for um, that happening. Not to say I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I always try to point people back to the Word of God. Because I know that you can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong with pointing people to the Word of God. The King James Bible in, in the English language. Okay, so let's go further here. Uh, let's see. Revelation 2.10. For fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. So it's saying we shouldn't fear the things which thou shalt suffer. Now that's easier said than done. But the Holy Spirit is the only way that's going to happen. That lives inside you as a born again Christian. And then it says, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Hey, it happened to Job. I mean, Job didn't get cast into prison, but Job had about everything possible go wrong that could go wrong, I'd say. And we're going to talk about that soon here. I'm, I'm going to probably end, uh, I'm probably going to go to a fourth part about Job. Fear of none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. Hey, this is not prosperity preaching here. It says, be thou faithful unto... It's, it's, it's almost as though the Bible talks about this is your reasonable service. Be thou faithful unto death. It's very matter of fact. And I will give thee a crown of life. What if you're not faithful unto death? What if you don't overcome? You know, I don't even want to even go there in my head, to be quite honest with you. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. What if you're not, well, what if you were actually tried? And this is part of the trials and tribulations because God wanted to prove you. What if he wanted to prove who were his and who weren't his truly? (laughs) It's the only reason I can see God for really doing it. I mean, one of the reasons, not the only, but one of them. Be thou faithful unto death that I will give thee a crown of life. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. Okay? But again, I've done this teaching, the teaching on overcoming, the teaching on salvation, and even baptism. Those teachings need to be looked at in totality. Okay? Together, to compare Scripture with Scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept. Because there's no easy, quick, simple answer for this whole question when it comes to that. Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. 
Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, I get into the commandments of God in the New Testament in the teaching on overcoming. Because some people say, see, got to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, yeah, nine out of the ten are a great template, okay? The Sabbath was essentially given truly to the, to the Jews. And again, I've done several teachings on the Sabbath. So please don't even, you know, I don't want to hear, I've heard every argument on the planet about that. And people that are into that Sabbath thing, they will not listen to anything. So, um, I've, I've looked at every side of that. And um, I've done more teachings on that, probably taken more flack on that teaching than any other teaching I've ever done. So be it. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from he- heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Saith the Spirit that they may rest from their labors and the works and their works do follow them. And I believe that has to do with your works, um, kind of like storing up treasure in heaven. Their works do follow them. Their works weren't burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. They weren't burned up as wood, hay, or stubble. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and end part four there. We're going to or part three, and we'll go to the last part um, next. God bless you.